I'm Dr. Lewis Carter. I'm going to go ahead and get started because I know people will walk in late, but uh, we have uh, a fair amount of material to go over. Uh, if you've been around plastic surgeons, you know that uh, they tend to show a lot of pictures. Um, let me ask a question here. How many of here are medical students? How many are nursing students? How many are, are out in practice in some field? Okay, good. Um, okay, well, let's just go ahead and, and, and get started. And uh, I'm kind of tied down here a little bit, and that's not much fun. But anyway, um, so the topic today is plastic surgery in the jungle or jungle plastic surgery. That sounds like an interesting subject, and it is, and you'll see how interesting it is once we get started. Uh, so, uh, to begin with, uh, I'm going to show some pictures. Um, I learned when I'm in most churches that I, I have to take out the red. Uh, but since most of the people here are, are all the people here are medical in some form or fashion, uh, we've left in a little red, but not a whole lot. Uh, I've had some people really, really get upset over the years, and uh, it's, uh, anyway, um, uh, I had some cousins one time, I was getting ready to show pictures to their group of friends, pretty high class friends in Dallas, and they were looking at my pictures the night before, we were trying to sit up there in their room where to put the screen and everything, and they, and they, and while I was showing the pictures, my wife noticed it, that the, the hostess was... It was down, <laughs> and I sort of got through with looking at the pictures. And everything was set up. They says, "Louis, you can show those." I said, "Well, yeah." My friends, my friends will walk out. So I'm glad they said it because we were able to change the pictures completely. Anyway, let's go through a few pictures. Um, and uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Forty years ago, if you told me I was going to be a plastic surgeon on the mission field, I would have told you in my backslidden state. Uh, I would never have been a plastic surgeon. I mean, I just, that was the worst thing in the world. Uh, I, and, that's, and I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. Uh, and I never thought about doing plastic surgery, ever. Never even gave it a consideration. Here's a few pictures of meloblastoma with a mandible. Large tumor, cystic tumor of the mandible, a bad burn in Janet, uh, severe burn. Saw her when she was 13. She was burned when she was two in Kenya. She could actually see out of that right eye. Uh, the uh, that's a a tumor from just recently. That's we thought it was a malignant tumor, but it wasn't. It was it was eaten away into the skull. That's a swanoma or neurolamoma, um, a nerve peripheral nerve tumor. Uh, that's a gunshot wound to the uh, to the mandible, or uh, to the mandible and the maxilla, uh, actually, uh, in a uh, Somali man. Uh, that's a, a uh, neurofibromatosis, another peripheral nerve lesion. Uh, that's a neglected burn, uh, about four months old, house fired, sibling died. That's a... Uh, uh, hemangioma. We weren't sure. There was some. There was some um, 
you know, in the middle there you see what looks like some maybe involution or what we didn't know what it was. Maybe we see a lot of these in over the in, in the world where they've had uh, native medicine or you know tropical med- uh, or the witch doctor put something in there, native doctor put something in there, and it starts to involute. Looks like an involute because there's some sort of something in there, but uh, we just didn't know. And this child came from Comore Islands, about way away from Kenya, and we felt like we had to do something. Leprosy. Uh, that's syndactly, a uh, webbing of the fingers. Actually, it's an acrosyndactly because there's a fenestrations between the fingers. Uh, that's uh, a bad burn, neglected burn. You see the hand, the arm, the, the hands are, the, the axilla are closed and the, ch- and the hand, the arms are attached, really burned to the chest, attached to the chest. That's because Vivian went into position of comfort. It's pains up, painful up here. She went into position of comfort when she was burned. Uh, so it wouldn't hurt as much. Um, that's Hudson, who came from northern Kenya, uh, who is, um, that's Cancum oris, Noma. Uh, in Greek, it means flesh, uh, a flesh-eating disease or, or, or uh, eating sores. Uh, and it's a, um, it's a necrotizing fasciitis of the face. You see it on the, in desert conditions, also in uh, areas north, near the desert, in arid conditions. Uh, well, you might say that's a gunshot wound, but actually it this man just didn't run fast enough. If he had only run faster than one other person, he would have gotten away from this. But he didn't. So when he had him down, he did this to him. More about him later. Uh, that's another bad burn. Uh, you can see that. Anybody here is an oral surgeon or dentist, that's... A, uh, you can see how the mandrel is, is also, this has happened when the child was very young, boy was very young, and how the, when the growth of the mandrel, how it distorted the growth of the mandrel. So it means more than just a burn surgery, it needs something to do with the, with the mandrel. That's an interesting lesion in the country of Niger uh, on the Sahara. Uh, that is a keloid in the, uh, in the perineum. There it is there. Uh, that's another... Uh, X-rated picture. That's uh, that's a uh, that's beginning of a vesicovaginal fistula, and there is the vesicovaginal fistula. You can see the uh, you can see the um, uh, sound going into the through the urethra uh, into the um, vagina. That's the worst disease known to man. No, no, sorry, the worst disease known to woman. Uh, but it, it's it's horrible disease, you know, and and it's. Uh, uh, you see it in remote areas, especially in Muslim areas where girls marry when they're very young, when they're 13, 14, and they, they get pregnant and they, they just don't have a large enough birth canal. Um, this is uh, northern Kenya. This is uh, where the labia have grown together. It says female circumcision, which we still see in some areas. That's a nasoencephalocele. Uh, that's uh, where there's a defect in the skull. And that's both uh, cerebral spinal fluid and also probably some brain in there. It wasn't brain in there. Um, that's the middle blastoma of the mandible again. That's a cementoblastoma of the mandible. This is a hard tumor, not a cystic tumor. That's the middle blastoma of the mandible, both the mandible and the maxilla. She'd already had operated on a couple of times and it had returned because it was not taken out satisfactorily. There it is there. You can see it inside the... You see how it's distorted the, the mandrel here. The teeth are gone there. Uh, and, uh, there's, this is a, another case of neurofibromatosis, peripheral nerve. 
uh, near the medioblastoma. That's a, fi a fibrous dysplasia. Another uh, disease of young people develops in, ch in childhood, develops, it usually stops growing in, uh, at the end of puberty at, or at the end of adolescence. Um, at the end of adolescence. Uh, but it's oftentimes of the max of the maxilla. It can be of the it can be also of the um, sorry, what did I do there? Did something. Oh, what did I do? Huh? It's the remote. The remote, yeah, well maybe so. Yeah, maybe so I did. Oh well I must have hit something I was trying to work on that. Anyway, that's fibrous dysplasia. And that's also fibrous dysplasia. Uh, that's obviously cleft lip. Cleft lip. That's that man there is 20 something years old, 25, 26, and has three kids. That's a cleft lip with also with a with cleft up into the face. That's a Tessier type tooth. Anybody who knows anything about classification of clefts, uh, that's a 45 pound elephantiasis of the scrotum. Not the largest in the world, but they get bigger. But it's it's pretty large. That's microtia. That's where a person is born without an ear. And that, well, we worried that might be a, some sort of sarcoma, but it was just a lipoma, a fatty tumor. That's radiodysplasia. Uh, that's radio club hands, it's called. It's an unusual condition. See it a lot in hand surgery. It's a fair amount. It's where there's no radius. The child's born without a radius. So you see how the arm, the wrist deviates. Uh, that's a, another burn. You see how badly that's burned. The, the hand is actually burned back, scarred back to the forearm. Uh, another burn, burn of the popliteal fossa and the, and the uh, ankle joint. This is an interesting case I saw years ago in Nigeria. This is actually a um, uh, what looks like a burn or some sort of wound. Why would a person have a wound that deep on the palm? Usually the palm doesn't burn that deeply because you get your hand away. But this is a, child, this is a young boy, 16 years old, that had leprosy. And he had both median and ulnar palsy. He could not feel uh, this is a unusual tumor of the hand. This is a fibrous histiocytoma. Uh, it's, it's a malignant tumor, low-grade malignancy usually. That's a lipofibromatosis. So this is a, this is a not necessarily congenital, but it's a it's a it's a fibrous it's a it's a fatty tumor really of the median nerve. And that's a um, malignant melanoma. Uh, that's a hemangioma of the lip. That's, well, that's a bone. That's skull. That's a child that was badly burned. And mother walked out of the room, had him close to the fire so he could get, so he could get, uh, uh, so he could get, keep him warm. Walked, came back, in the, out, came back. You see he's not that badly burned elsewhere, but burned right down through the skin, to the skull. The skull had to come off. This child's walking around today in northern Kenya with a skin graft on, uh, on the dura, on, on, the, on the covering of the brain. That's a venous malformation. That's another bad burn, both the perineum, hips, uh, hip joint, uh, knee joints. Uh, that's a bad-looking injury. That's a, that's a bite. Not a human bite. Not a dog bite. But a bite by this interesting animal. It looks pretty nice and mild, a mild, a mild animal, but boy, it can surely bite. That's actually a... Squamous cell carcinoma or marginal ulcer of, in a chronic burn scar in a, ch in a young girl. This girl, you aren't supposed to get marginal tumors until about 20 years after the burn, but this, she was only about four, 12 years after the burn. Cleft hand. 
neurofibromatosis again, a peripheral nerve tumor. That's, uh, uh, that's multiple inconchromatosis of the hand called Oliage disease. And that's another uh, Noma, or, or, or Cancamoris. That's Rhoda. So what do all these patients have in common? Well, they sure have a significant deformity, don't they? And uh, abnormality. Uh, it's either congenital or acquired. It can be either one of them. Uh, it's, um, well, there's a great stigma associated with this. You can imagine walking around with something like this. The stigma of people seeing this. I mean, most people that have these things don't come out in the daytime. So many of my patients, they come out only at nighttime. They just stay inside uh, in developing the world, emerging world, third world. Uh, and probably they'd do it here too if they had that. Unfortunately, we get treatment earlier. All require surgical intervention. Uh, and, but where in the remote areas of the world are you going to have to get this intervention? Where can you get it? And who in the world can operate on these? Uh, they all certainly need the healing both physically and spiritually from the great physician. But, there, you know, there's a lot of barriers to, to that. Talk more about that. My wife and I went to Nigeria in 1974, a long time ago. Uh, Igby Hospital uh, in southern Nigeria. SIM, it was Sudan here Mission, I just SIM. Uh, and, you know, we start seeing these things. And... Um, I didn't know how to treat cleft lips. I'll talk about that in just a minute. I didn't know how to treat these things. And I start seeing this. This is another anomaly. This is cancum oris, so it's not doesn't have a hole. It has a has a wound there. You can see the wound, but you don't have a you don't actually have a defect there. But she can't open her mouth. She's got trismus. Here's an open wound of the leg from a motorcycle accident. So a lot of these in that Nigeria used to be the world's largest importer of motorcycles in the world, and you can imagine the number of injuries we saw from motorcycle accidents. I didn't know how to take care of these. I was a general surgeon. I trained in Dallas. I thought I'd trained in the Mecca. I thought I could do I could do everything, you know? I trained at the at the greatest place in the world, but I I couldn't I didn't know how to do these. And then here's another bad burn. I, I didn't really know how to take care of these. Bad wound like this or bad wound like this. So here I was at A Hospital and uh, the question was, how in the world could I treat these conditions? As I said, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. And I, I wondered, where did I miss this kind of surgery? You know, I, where did I miss this? You know, I didn't see this in my residency. Uh, and who does this kind of surgery? Well, you know, I, I didn't know that probably plastic surgeons did cleft lips. But uh, I didn't know who did these other things. Um, that was a day before we had digital cameras, the internet. You know, I get I get emails every day now, almost every day, from people around the world sending me pictures of cases and asking me to how I can. How, say, I'm taking this patient operating tomorrow morning. You know, can you tell me what to do? So here I am. Uh, it's it's ten o'clock at night in Chattanooga, Tennessee where I am, or sometimes I'm somewhere else in the world, and they're getting up. And so i got to get the email off to them pretty quickly. I can't say, well, I'll wait till, the, I'll wait till tomorrow and answer this email. I've got to answer it right away. Uh, well, that's not showing. What's showing over here, the, uh, who can help is plastic and reconstructive surgery, or reconstructive surgeons. 
So a little background more on myself. We were, I felt called to the mission field when I was 16 years old. We didn't go to 35. What was I doing all that time? Well, I was in the Air Force. And also, I was in training. I uh, had no thought of plastic surgeons, as I said. And I didn't, I didn't know, I never thought plastic surgeons needed on the mission field. Uh, I didn't know anybody else knew anything about plastic surgery. And um, when I was a general surgeon, they said we had um, we had more residents and we had rotations our fourth year. And we, you know, orthopedic, urology, thoracic surgery, and things like that. And they said, um, any of you want to opt out of one of the rotations? And I said, yes. <laughs> they said, what do you want to opt out of? I said, plastic surgery. You don't do plastic surgery? No, I don't. I said, everybody else can do that. I don't want to do it. I'm never going to do it again in my life or see it again. No reason for it. So that's what I said at the end of my third year of residency in plastic and general surgery. I mean, you know, all I could think of was facelifts and all those other kind of lifts, you know. Anyway, uh, so here I am doing a plastic surgery residency some years later. And I wondered to myself, why am I doing this? And so did everybody else. Let me tell you, I cannot tell you the number of wonderful Christian people whoop, and, and leaders that I knew that said, what in the world are you doing, Louis? You know, you will never, ever go back to the mission field. I said, oh, yeah. No, you won't. Well, I had a lot of doubts myself. I, I, I cannot tell you the number of the doubts I had. What in the world am I doing this for? God had opened up a, a door miraculously, though. I mean, unbelievable. I wish I could tell you the story the, for me to get in the plastic surgery residency. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, they kicked the guy out of a residency program one month into the program. One month. How, can anybody get kicked out of a residency in one month after you'd already done general surgery for five years back in those days? Well, they did, and I got his place. But I didn't know this. Ever since I, ever since I went to, it was in college, Wheaton College. I memorized a, a, a verse, Jeremiah 10:23. Oh Lord, know the way of man is not in himself, and is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. If you if you see nothing else, remember nothing else today. Remember this: it is not in man that walks to direct his steps. You don't have a right to your life. God does. He made you. He, he gave you everything you have. And He alone can direct your steps. I didn't know what He was doing, frankly. I didn't realize until years later, years later, that God really was at work. And that really was, He was leading the way in a, in a mysterious, miraculous way. And I didn't realize it until years later. Uh, I mean, all my friends were saying, you know, good night, Lewis. You know, later, as I got older, because I didn't do the start my practice service in the late in the 80s, and you know, they were doing all these boob jobs and everything else at that time, and they were saying, you know, you know, you Lewis, how can you ever do this in Africa? Well, anyway, you'll see. Uh, anyway, so here I am going back to Nigeria to a different hospital, Egbe, the Evangel Hospital, as a general and a plastic surgeon, and. Um, I did, I did general surgery for a year, year and a half, and then we got a, a, a Nigerian that we trained to be from England to come back as our general surgeon. So I did mainly plastic surgery. So it's not always in the jungle, as you can see. Uh, consequences of deformity, for the, this is just the outline you have in your thing. Consequences of deformities for the patient and his or her family. 
Types of deformities that can be reconstructed in remote locations, training and equipment required for such surgical reconstruction, and the spiritual results from reconstructing surgery. So here are the, result, here are the problems with disabilities and, and, and uh, deformities in the developing world. That's it. In the developing world, the emerging, emerging world, third world, huh? Shh, don't tell anybody. It's the same here, too. It's the same here. Nobody's going to talk about it. Show you these. Judgment. What did you do wrong that God did this to you? In the third world, were you cursed by somebody? Did you hurt somebody and they curse you? And, they, and you have an evil spirit. Some of these patients I've shown you, they couldn't go to school. Little girl with bad birth. Because, why? Because the teacher thought she was bringing in the evil spirit to the classroom. Sin. Do you think people in our country today think of some of these things might be a sin? They have a child born with some condition like this? Yeah, they may not tell you that, but they do. Guilt. You can imagine the family. Stigma. Big blame. Shame. Rejection. By people around them. I cannot tell you the number of cleft lip patients I've operated on, older patients. They did not go outside in the daytime. They only went out at nighttime. Separation. And then you can't sit over there, over here, how God can love me. How can God love me? That's how they feel. With, with, with this deformity I have, how can God possibly love me? So there's a major difference between congenital and acquired abnormalities in that some are visible and some are invisible. It's the visible that are associated with all these bad things usually. If you have a congenital heart problem, nobody can see that. Yeah, you're sick, but nobody can really see it. If you have one of these, they can see it. So it's a, it's a great stigma when you have a visible deformity. As I said before, all these other things are associated with it. So how old is this? Well, it's, it's forever and ever. Look what happened. In, look what it says in John 9, 2 and 3. Disciples asked Jesus when they saw this blind man, who sinned? This man or his parents? You know, it's a sin. And you know what Jesus said, that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay? In uh, Kenya, Swahili word for cripple one means, says Kionje, that's a derogatory term. That's not a nice term. We had a term in Nigeria that means the big thyroid. Uh, it was a derogatory term. People were called, when they saw somebody, and they, they would greet them by this derogatory term meaning large thyroid. Saw this man in Papua New Guinea some years ago. And um, he came by, dug out a canoe for two days to see me. And the question was, uh, when I saw him, we only had two days left in this jungle village. And you'll see the hospital here in just a minute. I say hospital. Quotes. Big quotes. Um, the surgery I do doesn't take a whole lot of resources. It's not like orthopedic surgery. It's not like a lot of other things. They need a lot of fancy equipment. I can do a lot of plastic surgery without a lot of fancy equipment. Just give me a knife blade. you know. But anyway, the question was, uh, could I... Uh, Hope I got these things high enough. Anyway, um, should I do this surgery? Well, we brought in the nurse anesthetist that was with us. 
who had never been to the developing world before, and uh, ask him, what do you think? Hmm, never done anything like that. Uh, start thinking. And then I realized, you know, this man is never, ever going to see a plastic surgeon again in his life. If he's willing to agree to surgery, then we might as well try it. And I, I question, this man's in the deep jungles of Papua New Guinea. I mean, one of the most remote places in the world. Does he really, is there really a stigma attached to this thing? Is there really, is, is, there, is there a sin attached to this in the jungles? Uh, I mean, can he walk around because he's in the deep jungle, just walk around looking like this and not be a problem? I wasn't really sure, and I've been doing this for some years. I, I, I was very naive. Anyway, we went ahead and did his surgery. And there, that's the hospital. Hospital, not that's that's really a health center. Anyway, we make it a hospital when we go there. Uh, anyway, uh, there he is, and there he is after surgery. And this is what he wrote to me, or had the nurse there write to me uh, six weeks later. Thank you, Doctor Carter. I'm not a monster anymore. Kids are not afraid of me anymore. So, what's the conclusion? The stigma. Associated with the deformity is worldwide, even in the deepest jungle, and even in the first world, even in the United States. Um, fortunately, we can get treatment a lot earlier. I saw this little boy in Papua New Guinea a, a, couple, a year later, I think. And the, when he was born, the father wouldn't name him. So the grandfather named him, and he called him Wela. Well, in that language, you know what Wela means? It means broken mouth or ugly one. Now, can you imagine walking around? Hey, Wayla. <laughs> you know, I mean, poor little kid, you know. I mean, having such a horrible name. That's just one of those derogatory terms, you know, like the Kionje or what they call people that have big thyroids in some countries. So anyway, we went ahead and operated on him too. And there he is post-op. Well, that's just, that's just a couple of days. This is just we took the sutures out because we were leaving in a day or so. Uh, and after the father, well, they, somebody said to him, hey, father, you can't keep his name Wayla. you got to change his name. So somebody said, hey, what about Lewis? <laughs> okay. Um, so reconstructive surgery for disabled and deformed uh, where there is little help and little care. My wife and I started this new ministry after being 10 years in Nigeria uh, and after having hand surgery training also uh, we started this new ministry called Homeschooling for Missionary and National Doctors, where we go to hospitals around the world and teach the doctors uh, plastic, basic plastic and hand surgery. Some places we teach them how to skin graft. I mean, it can be as, if we're going to work with a, uh, a general practice doctor, family practice doctor, we teach them how to skin graft. We ta- and we take them all, we take them to dermatome. We take them everything. They need to do that and leave it with them. We take all the instruments we take, we leave it with the doctors. But anyway, we, we start, this is our ministry that we started back uh, 15 years ago. Uh, and we, so we teach them basic plastic and hand surgery. And sometimes get back into general surgery or orthopedics, urology, whatever. Um, and so we've been on 68 trips. We've been, we're with SIM. Uh, and SIM is one of these great missions that allows missionaries to network with other, other ones. And I, I had... Uh, be, after being in, in uh, SIM for about, uh, well, let's see, how many years was it? It was really 20 so altogether. 
uh, I said, can I, can I do the, can we go around the world to any mission hospital that has a gospel witness and teach? And they said, sure. So we go to a lot of hospitals, you'll see in a minute, and not just SIM. Um, so we've been, uh, all these, our trips are usually two months long. It takes that long to teach. Uh, we had a, a knee surgeon come to, come to Evangel Hospital in Nigeria back in, in the 80s, and he taught me how to do knee arthroscopy and some ACL repairs. In two weeks, I mean, morning to night, uh, every day. And so I figured if he could do that, I could probably go and teach the doctors how to do cleft lips and some simple hand surgery and things like that in two months. So that's what we do. Um, so they can carry on the ministry after we leave. After we leave. Uh, there are hospitals represented here in Booths. Where, uh, there's one hospital in particular that I have taught the doctors how to do operations, and every year they do at least 500 operations that I've taught them. That's not 500 different operations. That's 500 operations total, maybe 20 of this kind, 30. But these are operations, techniques that I've taught them over the years, and I've been back there many, many times. Because we go to some of the hospitals 14 to 15 times. Well, maybe not that many, but 12, 13. Um, and while, you know, when we go back each year, we're a catalyst to bring patients in. So we bring a lot of patients into the hospital. They hear about it, and they bring them in. They, they put the word out. And when the patients come in, guess what? They can, they can, they can see the love and compassion of Jesus, Christ, of Jesus Christ through us and hear the gospel. And that's what we want. So this is just a quick overview of hospitals we've been to. Uh, Niger, uh, SIM Hospital, Southern Baptist Hospital in Ghana, uh, a North American Baptist in Cameroon, back to Hana there, been there about 12 times. Uh, that's, that's it. That's where it is there. That's that, that's that big, big, huge hospital right there. You can see it right over there. Well, it's right down there. Uh, anyway, that's a that's a great trip. That's a, that's a, that's the only time of trip I go on where I take a team with me. Most of the time we go, we we just my wife and I just go, and that's the airport we fly into. Uh, oh, by the way, that's the if you go back there, I might show you. Well, if you look real closely, there's a there's an international terminal over there. You can't quite see it, but it's it's there. Um, and we work there using it. We use a headlight. We have an old mice unit that we use for, for equipment. No operating table, just an old stretcher from my. It really is a mice unit. That's what it is. Samaritan's person out there years ago. And Timbuk Hospital, we just represented by a booth here. A great hospital. A great, great hospital in western Kenya. Uh, you'll hear Russ White speak tomorrow night, who's who is a heart surgeon there, does heart surgery. Uh, didn't go there to do heart surgery, but he, he does it now. He trained in thoracic surgery. Great group of people there. Carol Spears is, has spoken here before. She's a girl there. She's a wonderful, wonderful girl. She's here at the meeting uh, teaching there. They have a wonderful uh, teaching. Um, well, they, they teach residents and interns and house staff, all kinds of people there. It's a great teaching hospital in Kenya. That's in western. This is in northern Kenya, Kapswar Hospital. That's in the town of Kapswar, a little small town, northern Kenya. Uh, all the, the roads to this are, are just like that dirt road there. That's not the, that's a that's one of the roads through town. The only only significance of Capsuar is if you look over that little hill over there. That's where they have the high altitude training center in Kenya. And guess what that is? That's this is about eight nine thousand feet. That's where all the great Kenyan marathon runners train. Just a, not very far from here, just a few miles. I mean, it's up high, and you, if, you, if you're driving to and from Capsule, you see those greyhounds out there, those people out there running, running and running and running. Unbelievable. But that's where, the, that's where the great world champions come, right there. Um, 
That's their operating room, theater. That's what it's called in the British terminology. There they are there with helping Dr. Bill Rhodes um, there, and, and they're operating. Fortunately, that was that this patient here, they used to have, have to move the table over because it, uh, there was, it rained because water came down and dribbled on the patient. But anyway, they've got a new operating room going up. It'll be up soon. Uh, that's Dr. Rhodes making rounds there. And you can see he's got the patient's got the IV going. Uh, there I am making rounds too. So it's one of the patients out, patients there after surgery, after a major surgery. This is after a jaw surgery. They're outside the next day, you know. It's wonderful. Uh, that's Kajabi Hospital in Kajabi, Kenya. That's Cure Hospital in Kajabi. Uh, that's Dr. A couple of Cure doctors, Dr. B and Dr. Thury, uh, Dr. Mutetti there, and one of the residents there. Uh, they have a great teaching program too. We've been back to Josh. Dr. Joel Anthes, an ENT doctor, talk about him in just a minute. My wife is an OR nurse, so she teaches in the operating room, uh, scrubs in and teaches. Uh, runs a hospital in western Kenya. Um, now, you see the anesthesia machine there, don't you? Uh, Y'all can see, I can probably see it better over here. See the anesthesia machine there? Let's see, where is it? I can't show you. I'm going to call it here. Anyway, there it is right there. It's a little EMO machine. There it is. Uh, isn't that a nice machine? It works. Uh, anyway, this is um, uh, that's that. This is the Cure Hospital in Afghanistan, also under the organization Cure, which of course has a booth here. McKinky Hospital in Zambia, which is a SIM hospital, and that's their hospital. And teaching here, and this you can't see it on this side of here, but this is this is teaching wherever we go. If we're in a big, near a big city, we have a chance to work with the with the doctors at the big hospital. This is Kenyatta Hospital, 2,000-bed hospital. He's chief of orthopedic surgery and actually chief of surgery, Dr. Tenga, Professor Tenga there. We, have, we go in and work with him. And, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's a, it's, we don't do a lot of it, but we do some of it. And we give lectures uh, to the medical students and residents at these hospitals if we have a chance. Uh, that's just at the orthopedic hospital in Bangalore, India. Not orthopedic general hospital, but that's, that's the orthopedic clinic. A Bumshaw Baptist Hospital and teaching the residents there. Those are actually family practice residents, but they do a lot of surgery. Uh, Cure Hospital in, uh, in Malawi, one of the poorest countries in the world. Cure Hospital in Zambia. Uh, some of the doctors there. This is a wonderful neurosurgeon there. Just a wonderful uh, Zambian neurosurgeon. It's a wonderful story how God led it back there. My wife working there with us and teaching, doing the hand surgery. As I said, we take instruments everywhere we go. We take instruments to... Um, that's, we were going to this hospital in Tanzania, northwestern Tanzania, up on the, on the uh, border with um, uh, eastern, the western border of, of Kenya, uh, of Tanzania there. Uh, and we were, um, they didn't have an electric hardware machine. So we got one at the very last minute, had one side bring one out, because we can't do cleft pallets without an electric hardware machine. Anyway, this is, um, my, we take instruments, my wife teaching the nurses, about the instruments, the names of them. We take books every place we go and leave the books behind. We take uh, DVDs uh, on various subjects. That's one on hand surgery. We take, um, uh, we take, as I say, we take books. You know, we don't really care how the doctors use the books. We just want to make sure they, they use the books, you know. And, uh, and, and that's, that's great, you know. That's wonderful. He was having the nurse turn the pages, you know. And that, that, that's, a, that's a head and neck flap book, I think. Anyway... Uh, so anyway, these are some of the cases we've done. This is, I mean, this is just an overview. I'm trying to show some of the pictures I showed before, and this is just a boy that had cleft lip and cleft palate, and that's after the uh, cleft lip and the cleft palate surgery. Um, another uh, cleft lip. 
This is that young man, man I showed you before that had, in the 20s, that had three kids and never had head surgery. In northern Zambia came, somehow we found him and they found him and brought him down. That's after surgery and he's giving me a thumbs up. Uh, he's really happy. I mean, people won't recognize him when he goes home. They will not recognize him. Uh, this is an interesting picture of, uh, of the uh, of a man. This is a, uh, a pipe from a commercial oven. It's six feet long. Hot as can be. You can see it burn his chest. It's, and, and fortunately, this is just God. Just God was just miraculous thing here. This uh, boy's name is Emma. And he um, the, um, it just so happened at this hospital, probably the only mission hospital in the world at the time, had an ENT doctor there. And this guy had the presence of mind to do a tracheostomy before he took out that big piece of metal. And he did. And the uh, man lived, had multiple operations, and doesn't look perfect there, but he's a lot, lot better. He's a Muslim. He uh, stayed around the hospital for weeks, getting care. As I said, multiple operations, lots of flaps inside the mouth, outside, everywhere. Anyway, he... um, he stayed in the hospital and finally came to the Lord. Couldn't go home. So he, they gave him a job. I think he's washing, washing clothes or something in the hospital. So it's, it's a great story for Emma. Wonderful story. I had the privilege of being part of his, uh, some of his operations. This is Rhoda from northern, from Sudan, not northern Sudan, southern Sudan. She had this Noma, this eating sore. Uh, Samaritan's person, Dr. Dix Branchers, who's here with Bethany Kids, a display here on the first floor. He, uh, they brought him down, and we were able to operate on Rhoda. Uh, a couple operations, three, maybe three, I guess. And she's not perfect yet, but when she, she'll, be, she'll be a lot better over time. This is soon after the surgeries. Uh, this man just had a, somebody, I think he's in a road traffic accident, and uh, had that. And, you know, again, we're not making them perfect, but we're making them presentable. And where the, the stigma and, the, and, and all that is, is no longer there. As I showed you this one before, a gunshot wound. This is a Muslim, a Somali man, Muslim. Uh, treated him at Kajabi Hospital. A uh, man that had his lip bitten off by his uh, by somebody. And that's just soon after surgery. This is a, a, a middle blastoma with a mandible again. That's just after surgery. Uh, that's that neurofibromatosis. After, uh, that's had a tissue expander in here. You can't see it, but there's a tissue expander up here in the top of the scalp here, and so we were able to expand his scalp and then use that extra skin to cover. Uh, only had that in the last some years. I hadn't always had that. A lot of these things we don't have, like Vax and things like that you've heard about, uh, the, the Sintegra. This is, uh, again, nasal encephalocele. You see a lot of these in the in, in East, Eastern Africa, Eastern, yeah, East Africa. Uh, neurosurgeons and plastic surgeons may do one together as they do them usually together, maybe one in a whole year here in our country, in big cities. What they do, they have lots and lots over there, and that's after surgery, a year after surgery. We don't always see, most of these patients we don't see a year later. They don't come back. They're happy. They don't come back. Uh, this is uh, that meloblastoma case. This is after surgery on both the maxilla and the mandible. Uh, cementoblastoma of the mandible, benign tumor. Uh, that's the hemangioma of the lip. After surgery, that's that meloblastoma after surgery. Another, lots of meloblastomas too. Don't see these over here, but they see a lot of them in 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 uh, in, uh, in east, well, all over Africa. Neurofibromatosis, same way. Lots of neurofibromatosis. This is in Johnson, came from west, Western 
Kenya operate on first in Western Kenya, then I followed up uh, in Central Kenya. Uh, he's had several operations. Uh, this boy I saw several years ago, in fact, 2006, I think it says on one of these slides. Anyway, um, here he is. That's after surgery. And guess what? He showed back up two years later. And there he is two years later. Uh, again, we don't see most of them two years later, but we're very thankful when we do. Um, I'm gonna, anyway, this is a case I did with Dr. Dan Panero. This is a um, um, cystic hygroma. That's after surgery, eight-hour surgery. That's that hemangioma. That's, then this child, we didn't, never expected to see back again. Never came from Comore Islands. About, I don't know how many hundreds of miles from, from Kenya. A missionary sent him up there to Kajabi Hospital to Dr. Bransford. And we were able to operate on this child. Came back actually twice. We think it, didn't think it'd ever come back again. That's that uh, mirror hand on the dimelia, uh, no thumb, eight fingers. After surgery, just soon after surgery, it'll be a lot better. Child had no thumb. Uh, and uh, and that's, uh, this is after he made the index finger into a thumb. Cleft hand, brought the brought, uh, cleft together. Child gave me a thumbs up there. That's in Zambia. Patrick. After surgery for his for the bad burn, uh, been a patient for a long time. My Patrick's one of our good friends. He's gone to business school there in Kenya. Vivian, you can see the bad burn. You can see her how her her uh, arms are burned to the chest there, scarred to the chest. A lot of big plastic surgery. A lot of flaps from the back to to fill that in and and get her hands up. That she needed surgery on her hands, uh, our elbows and hands. You can see the hand there. Um, that's your hand there, and, and this, anyway, let's go on over here. There's a hand, and there it is after surgery, and that's after some physical therapy, a lot of physical therapy. That's Collins again from northern Kenya, and that's after surgery. And this is actually two years later without any other surgery being done, I think. Yeah, there it is. Um, so no other surgery. All the pigment came back and everything like that. This is our buffalo injury, and there he is, ten days after surgery. Bad hand burn. This is just immediately after surgery. We weren't there long enough to get one longer. Again, the same thing. This is Fatima, a little Muslim girl that had Aperts syndrome, Aperts-like syndrome, had this uh, congenital complex syndactyly, complex webbing of all the fingers together. And we've operated on her actually four times, but we've operated on each hand twice and to give her a web space there. And then we've got one more to do, one more we have space to do is all we can do. We can't make her. We can only. We can. We can probably make her four fingers. The mother wants four fingers. Uh, actually, no. I'm sorry. We can only make her three fingers. We'll make her three fingers and a thumb. Is all we can make her. Uh, mother wants four fingers. There's no way we can do that. Uh, it's just I don't think. Um, this is Nympha. She's actually a missionary in um, uh, in um, Tanzania. She went to a seminary in in uh, Kenya. And when she was a child, her parents tried to get somebody to take care of her, tried somebody to do, uh, take care of the macrosia, uh, born without a congenital ear deformity. Uh, but no one would in Kenya. So Dr. Tim Mead finally found her and brought her to us, and we took her cartilage from her ear, and, from her ribs, rather, and made her an ear. Uh, and that's our, I know y'all been waiting for that. Uh, that's, uh, sorry, I'm going to pick up something here. It's like, um, the... Uh, Elephantiasis, and this is after surgery. Um, and, of course, that's about three weeks after surgery. So we don't have one later than that. So anyway, the surgery breaks down the barriers to these people that have these deformities and give these, all these people an opportunity 
to meet and know, and you can't see it, it's down below there, to meet and know it's over here, know Christ as Savior. And that's our goal, to break down the barrier they have between them and God where they, they feel accepted, accepted enough to even, uh, even uh, to just to trust in Christ uh, and, and to hear about the gospel, hear the gospel message. And uh, you, can, you can imagine how thankful these people are. They don't have to be made perfect. If they're made 80%, they're, they're perfect. Uh, they're, and they're so thankful. This allows them to go back into civilization. It allows them to go to church. It allows so many things. It allows them to get a, go to school. Uh, and so over the years, we've been able to train and uh, influence people to go into plastic surgery. Dr. Bill Rhodes is, in fact, just tomorrow, he's taking his oral exams in plastic surgery. He's out in California. You know, he's at Phoenix tonight. He's turned in his cases, and I expect to get a call from the night telling me if, the, if they accepted him for, to take the, uh, the exam. Uh, and Dr. Peter Anthama is a wonderful Kenyan who is, I, I started working with in 1996 and been working ever since. He's back in Kenya, not only as a plastic surgeon, but as a microvascular surgeon. Uh, and that's Paul Lim, who is in Ethiopia with Cure. Um, this is Drew Wong. Some of you may know Drew. He's a... He's from uh, Sacramento. He's he was in this room like y'all are uh, some years ago, four years ago I think when I gave the talk before. And um, I saw him last year here at the meeting. And he says, uh, Lewis, he said, Dr. Carter says, you know, you don't know it, but when you spoke here four years ago, that changed my life, changed my direction. God used that in a fantastic way. Well. Uh, I heard uh, the, I heard the name this year when he's coming out to Capsware, Kenya. I said, I wonder if that's the, the the one I know, Drew. I know, and sure enough, it was. He's out in Kenya now for a year under World Medical Mission, Samaritan's Purse, for a year working with Bill Rhodes, the plastic surgeon there, uh, who's taking the exam. He's home now, just for a few weeks. But anyway, that's Drew is uh, in his third year. Uh, well, finished his third year plastic surgery training. Got three more years, and he's going to be another uh, be another plastic surgery missionary. Praise God. Uh, so there we are. We've had a, quite a ride over the years, uh, seven years in Nigeria, in southern Nigeria, then three more in northern Nigeria as a plastic surgeon, and then practice in Chattanooga, teaching at the University of Tennessee uh, there, uh, and which I do still teach at. I still get lecture at when we're, when we're back over, from overseas. And um, so you see there's a little error there. I don't know if you can see it, but I, I, a little error, red error. I need to make it bigger. But when, when my wife gets that off, she's just had total knee operation. So when she gets that off, uh, we'll be back next year, Lord willing, in Kenya and Papua New Guinea and Zambia and so forth. Um, so I'm, I'm asked a lot of times, I know y'all are not all medical, some of the nurses and things like that, but what residency is the best one for medical missions today? Well, let me, let me, let me go into, uh, if you, if you, I meant to bring, I don't guess you have it, John, but I meant to bring our, a brochure and needs list from SIM. We have a booth downstairs, and I'll be there most of the time. We have a booth that has, we have a needs list. And uh, the number of nurses we need is unbelievable. I mean, I don't know, 30 maybe, maybe more than that, of all kinds of nurses. And nursing students. The nursing students can do elective too in some of our hospitals. But anyway, what nurses can be? All kinds of nurses. But, you know, if I had to pick one nurse in this day and age that would be really a great thing for the mission field, it would be a nurse in anesthesia, a nurse practitioner. All kinds of opportunities. Unbelievable number of opportunities for nurse practitioners. Anyway, we're talk- let's just talk about medicine for a minute. Very best probably is family practice or, or surgery, but, but it really doesn't make any difference. You can do what you want to do. You can do anything you want to in this day and age. 
30 years ago, you couldn't, but now you can. Uh, you may need to be creative for your heart surgeon. You may have to look far and wide to find a place. Like, But, I mean, I'm sure that uh, uh, Russ White, when he speaks tomorrow night, I mean, he'll probably say, well, I could use a heart surgeon to come out and help me uh, come out there. But, you know, you may, you may have to be creative if you're, if you're an allergist. Or if you're an oncologist, you may have to go back to your primary specialist. If you're, I know some medical oncologists and hematologists. They had to go back and practice. They felt God called them. Hey, God called me. I'm going. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to do oncology, but God called me. So I'm going to go out there. I'll practice my internal medicine and let God bring whatever cases, cancer cases, into me. And there are a lot of hospitals, I and mean, there are some hospitals like Kajabi, Kenya now, that have a, they're developing a big oncology program. You know, and they need somebody to come and, and, and run the oncology program there, the medical oncology. They have a, they have a surgeon there. So, you know, you have to be creative, but they're, they're, they're places. Uh, and, and, uh, but you have to be you know, you're a little bit reasonable. And I'll talk about more than that in just a minute now. But if you look at the, go down here to the display and you say, okay, missions, tell me, what, what do you need? What's your needs list? I'm going to be a uh, neurosurgeon. Well, there is a booth. I can tell you. If anybody's a neurosurgeon here, I can tell you where to go. I can tell you what booth to go to down there. Just ask me. Uh, but there, but you have to be, create, you have to look around. Uh, because there are needs for every specialty. Now, you know, you have to be willing to realize that God gave you the specialty. He gave you the knowledge. He gave you the experience. And you have to be reasonable and look around. Uh, so what are you here this weekend for, I wonder? I wonder if any of you have made commitments to missions already. I wonder if you're maybe just thinking about missions. I bet a lot of you are just thinking about missions. Looking to see if there's really a need. Well, I meant to have my SIM hospital brochure that I just developed and my and my needs list with me. John has one there. It has all kinds of needs in there. There are plenty of needs for everything. And if it's not there, just keep looking. It's there. Um, I know um, some of you may have been called to missions here. But you haven't nailed it down. Some years ago I gave a talk here at this meeting, on nailing it down. A lot of young people are those who have been feel like they've been called, just don't nail it down. Hey, I'm gonna keep thinking about this. And you know, you 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 meet a young, lovely lady or a handsome man, and you uh, you you, and he, you talk about things, and you say, well, I think God's calling the missions. Well, let's just talk about that after we after we married. You know, you, but if you nail it down, you can talk about it before marriage. In fact, you can talk about it right away. In fact, I told my wife that I was called the missions on our second date. And she came to know the Lord on our second date. So it was only missionary dating for one day, one, one date. Um, beware of pitfalls for the missionary candidate. Remember, I did my training in spurts. General surgery, plastic surgery, hand surgery, not all at one time. But, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, if God calls you to be a whatever now and you want to do a certain thing, but, but you have to be, be aware that the more fellowships you go do, the more deeply in debt you may become, 
you have more, have more kids. And, you know, yeah, you can go to the mission field with six kids. It's happened. That oncology friend of mine, uh, when God called him when he was about 40, he went to mission field, raised his support in six months and went to the mission field with six kids. I think, well, maybe I think he, by the time he went, he had seven. It's possible. But, you know, it gets harder. Uh, you get... More and more technology dependent, and some especially some things you do, um, and the temptation to stay or, or find a reason to stay, excuse to stay is there. Again, the bottom line really: the spouse must be committed. Uh, more missionary and more medical missionaries have been that have committed to missions ahead of time, but and maybe almost nailed it down, but left not quite. The thing that kept the mission field was marrying somebody who did not was not ready to go and did not feel called to go. Uh, and it's it's important to live like a missionary here. I mean, by that is when you're in training or whatever, you don't go out and have a you know wife doesn't have a, a, a Lexus and you have a Mercedes and you have a three hundred fifty thousand dollar home and things like that. It's going to be hard to give that up. And if you if you go if you uh, um, you know, there's organizations that will help you with financing. They're not going to give it to you if you've been living like that. Anyway, um, must nail down commitment. You know, a lot of people like the warm fuzzies. You know, they like they like going to church and and it's like, you know, he's going to be he's going to be a missionary. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, well, I'll go talk to him. Oh, yeah. She's going to be a, she's, gonna, she's thinking about mission. And, you know, you get all these, people start coming to, oh, you can be a missionary? Oh, that's fantastic. And they start getting all these warm fuzzies. Oh, you know, that's great. You know, and you enjoy that. But you've never nailed it down. You've never nailed down that commitment. And you, and you, and sometimes you just fail to keep your eyes, you, you turn to the right or to the left. And, you know, if God leads you to the right or left, that's one thing. But if you turn to the right or left, that's something else. And God wants you to keep your eyes on Him. Bottom line is, He gave you everything you have. All you have is His. He owns it all. All your abilities, all your... Whatever you've done in life, He gave it to you. And and He can... Can He not direct your past? Does He not, he, does he not have the authority to tell you what to do? Are you willing to lose everything for Him? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to wholeness and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. David Livingston said this, People talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my time in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply acknowledging a great debt we owe to God? Which we can never repay. Oops, I'm gonna pull away from here in a minute. Um, which we can never repay. Is it a sacrifice which brings its own reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny? It is emphatically no sacrifice. Rather, it is a privilege. David Livingston. And I agree with him 100%. Thank you very much.